0: In today's episode, Dave interviews Melanie Chartoff. Melanie was the voice of Dee, Dee and Minka on Rugrats, was a series regular on Fridays, Parker Lewis Can't Lose, New Heart, and Weird Science. She was also on Seinfeld, Married with Children, and Wise Guy. Melanie teaches improv and acting in Los Angeles. For more information, go to chartoffteaching.com. I'm Ian Foley, and this is ADD Comedy.
1: Do you think it's exciting to be in a new age? I kind of didn't for a while, but now that I'm married, so I have a ballast in my life, it it feels a lot more fertile. It felt like a dead end for for a number of years there because I just saw this kind of trajectory of freelance, constant proactivity in five or six different careers without any sort of secure bedrock. And now I have a wonderful bedrock. And life has a context of, you know, planning a vacation with somebody else. Right. Where we're going to eat this weekend and who we'll get together with. A whole array of couples. We're in social demand. So I'm suddenly (laughs) popular. And I have a family that just on kind of general principle have accepted me. Uh I've gone from being a lapsed U.S. to being a somewhat, you know, reformed U.S. now. Mm -hmm. And I'm suddenly invited to holidays, which I deign to attend. I didn't before, but now I do. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a whole other life. I feel like a new version of myself.
0: That's, uh, so it really is uh, it's, it's that feeling of a renaissance, the idea that. But it's also the idea that that which we perceive as an ending is not really. That which we perceive as is over is, is just a, that period is over. Yeah. And how easy it is for us to go, it's all over. <laughs> especially if you're alone
1: yeah I was alone and I was an actress before I was a human being in all, in all honesty mm-hmm. so my whole life has been about acting when I wasn't acting I was nothing right. And now I've developed all these other things I do, as I'm sure you have too, and found, you know, I feel kind of good doing these things. I don't feel like I'm taking handouts. I feel like I'm a leader. My my opinion is respected. I have creative input, which I wasn't always having solicited when I was on a TV series. So it's developed a whole new series of aspects of me, which I might not have... Done if I was just going from sitcom to sitcom or series to series.
0: Right. God, that's so wonderful. That really is so wonderful. I feel like I'm in control of my life, and I feel that what I had to do in order to be in control of my life was to let go of so much of control of my life. Um, the idea that, oh, I have to make sure that my agents know, and I got to make sure that I'm, I've never had a manager, but I got to make sure that my agents know, and da 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 And why didn't I get that? And there's this going on, and that going on, and that going on, and that going on, instead of saying, I am going to be here and be told where it is that I'm going to go. That's not to say to, to just sit on the sidelines, it's just to say stop looking at every aspect of the game.
1: Yeah, paring it down I think is really important and you get so much stronger what you're strong at. You know, like you for example, you're such a mouthpiece for a certain specific presence kind of comedy, which I really admire about you. It's not about being clever, it's not about making faces and pratfalls, it's about the wonderment of just being present with another human being truly present and all the quirks and wonderful things that come out of those moments
0: yeah it's and and those things came out thank you for noticing that and those things came out because the other things didn't work out
1: mm-hmm.
0: i was never one to and i don't think you were either to go for those kind of ra-ka-da-da-da-da because no. it didn't
1: my stand up act such as it was was all about playing roles and characters they were kind of like Anthropological commentary more than they were funny, right. really. But everybody would think it was interesting, and I would be cast in things based on the fact that I was an ingenue, being funny in some fashion. But I know that Larry David failed equally well, you know, at, at doing stand-up because his stuff was wonderful con- con- conceptual scenes that ended up on various television shows he wrote, but didn't really work as as televisable Carson five-minute exactly. Guys, you know.
0: Yeah 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 and i love that the idea of uh wonderfully failing or however way you put it because it says that which we put the output that we have is the output that we have Mm -hmm. and if we keep if we don't judge it it will serve us
1: yeah that's what we have to tell the young people today is that just because you're you're not making it at this, doesn't mean the time you're spending trying is wasted.
0: It's a matter of saying, what are your expectations and how do we get rid of them as soon as we can? Mm. Because those expectations don't allow you to be here in the moment because you're ahead of yourself saying it has to be that as opposed to this is what I am and this is the voice that I am. Mm -hmm. And what I loved about being at Second City is their emphasis was this. That is that, that beast called Second City. They were the midwife to your voice, mm. and that's what they did. Mm. They said, "Who are you? Uh, we're going to embrace who, who, We're going to embrace who you are. So here's the question: Who are you?" Now, the answer isn't the facts that were given. the answer is the heart that you have. And the heart that you have is going to be the thing that, that puts the words out in the way that you put the words out, in the tone that you put the words out, and uh, the flavor of the song that you're singing.
1: Yeah. So your uniqueness, discovering your uniqueness and confidence in that sort of safe space is so important. And as the teacher, you do that. And that's something that I try to do as a teacher. Our responsibility as teachers, though, I I want to ask you about this, is when do you say to somebody, don't bark up this tree? At what point can you actually say that to somebody when they're just bombing at one particular pigment over and over and over? How long do you say, you've got something special, put it over there? I mean, when do you say, you know, give it up? Isn't
0: it... I will answer that question because it's a great question. Oh, good. But it's isn't
1: it so rare that you meet
0: somebody like that?
1: Yeah, actually,
0: it's just so rare. Usually, they
1: need to go to therapy to clarify their signal.
0: I absolutely and in a way, and I'm going to say this very gently because I don't want people to go. Oh, I'm going to go to therapy at Dave's class. But in a way, I am there to say you keep making the same choice over and over and over again. And I I have a feeling it has nothing to do with the scene that you're in. I have a feeling that it's the scene that you think that you're in in your life. Right.
1: I find I have a student studying with me now. I won't mention name. I teach in my home. I have a studio.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I uh, can get in touch
0: with you. What? Sure. Okay, great.
1: Um, Melaniechartoff.com is a great way, or chartoffteaching.com. Love it. I work one-on-one mostly, and all kinds of unusual people come to me just to. To blow my horn about this, two very shy people came, journalists in the Catholic world came to me, and they had an idea for a show. I thought it was a wonderful idea, but first I needed to get them to be host-worthy, camera-worthy. We worked together on Skype. She was in Dublin, Ireland. He was in Detroit Mm -hmm. for about five, six months, and I said, we're ready. Let's develop the show. We developed it, and now it's on the air with DEWTN, a Catholic network. Ah. I packaged it around their persona, Mm -hmm. gave them confidence that being um, passionate nerds was perfect for them. And now it's a big success, oh. and I've directed a few of them, which was great for me because I got to shoot my mouth off on a set for a change and say the way I wanted it shot and lit and how they should walk. Right. And um, I'm hoping more folks like that come to me with a, a germ of an idea that I can help make them the entrepreneurial force behind and spokesperson. for
0: The me. entrepreneurial force behind. I think that so many of us, uh, so many actors, actors, improvisers, don't. Feel that they're business people?
1: I certainly don't. You don't now? I don't. I've been very lucky that word of mouth has been loud for me, but I don't feel like I'm, I'm very good at business and I don't prefer it.
0: I think that the idea, the, 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 the key word there is you don't prefer it. The idea that you don't prefer it. Yeah. Um, for me, I prefer it because. Mm. I want to say because it's my bread and butter, but that 's not true. I think I would end up doing this no matter what but i just i love self promotion mm. i wasn 't always like that, but what I realized was the more that i the more that i uh, that I tell people what it is that i 'm doing, the more interested in in what I'm doing, they're doing. If I don't tell them what I'm doing, right. they're not Right, you have to known. identify
1: your brand, and you have a special kind of niche that once you find that niche, the whole universe opens.
0: It's, it's, but you have
1: to find your pathway in and your, your kind of explanation of it, and you, you've found that. And I think it's true of anybody. Well, what I call myself is the Charismatizer. Uh-huh. I take people who, who are somewhat introverted or extroverted in an awkward way, and I ambivert them. I calibrate them so that their persona pleases me. And fortunately for me, it seems to please the greater number of people. I think that the spittle out of their delivery, you know, whatever it takes just to get them sort of more communicable. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. It, what you're doing is you're clearing a path for them, yeah. and you're saying you don't need all of this stuff that you're you're bringing with you. Yeah,
1: let's find your smolder, your sparkle, your sex appeal, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it might look like, like Mick Jagger, who was, was one of the most awkward, physically awkward and nerdy, geeky guys I ever saw on stage, but he did it with such arrogance that he made that a thing.
0: Absolutely. And
1: it led to so many others like that.
0: Uh, so many
1: people... Asperger's, uh, almost autistic people who kind of found a voice for their uniqueness. Tiny Tim, I worked with Tiny Tim, he was one of the shyest people, more need for attention than any shy person I'd ever met. And he made that into a thing, a very interesting thing for
0: me. Uh, he was also, uh, as we all are, and I don't know how that works, I don't know what comes first, but he was a man of his time. He was a man in his time, mm-hmm. is what I mean. How do you mean um, for the early seventies that he was in late sixties, early seventies, that was the perfect thing perfect place for him to be yeah. i don't know that tiptoe through the tulips would become something now you know what i mean <laughs> right. i don't know that him i the show that cause the show that he would be on maybe he would i don't know maybe he would be the, the the opposite of Marilyn manson um but i I look at
1: Tiny Tim and I think he was perfect for that period yeah we didn't have one like that on the carson show we didn't have one like that before who played the ukulele and was, right but looked kind of strange but was straight and in love deeply in love with a woman what was her name oh, miss something yeah
0: miss something miss l miss something and then
1: this is tim yeah I,
0: yeah yeah <laughs> yeah remember. yeah
1: yeah but he he was very uh sure of himself in that kind of social anxiety
0: Mm -hmm. did you did you get to talk to
1: him one-on-one a lot he's very shy with me very giggly Uh uh-huh couldn't could hardly make eye contact actually wow but sweet right such sweetness right
0: and the question now is what would people do with him now yeah. You know, I look at that and go, oh, that's a fragile person. I mean, look
1: at that guy. Is it Sai, the Asian guy who had that crazy dance that he Yeah, uh-huh. and had a whole run of commercials and then kind of backed away from it, felt it was getting too big for how, his comfort zone. But had a lot of deals first. and was spokesperson for a lot of things first. Created a crazy dance first.
0: Right, right. Uh, what's it called? Yeah, that dance. That yeah. dance, Gangnam style. Yeah. Uh, right. Like style. <laughs> right. Um, which is so. I'm Korean? not saying
1: every single one of us should crawl out of your shyness and become, a, you know, a celebrity. But there's never been a more open kind of forum for for oddities. Uh, those of us who feel like we're oddities. To but now, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And you can make a name for yourself using the internet. Internet, you know, the hell with who accepts you in the in our showbiz kind of paradigm. Uh, there's a story that
0: uh, that was in the in New York Times the other day about um, somebody on CBS offering this woman on the internet who's got millions of followers who does essentially a uh, makeup show. She's teen teen makeup stuff, mm-hmm. and she's she's it's really well produced on YouTube. And CBS made her an offer saying we'd like for you to be a cameo on this show, and she went. Um, this is my rate, and I think her rate was something like three hundred thousand dollars for a cameo, and uh, and she's got handlers like CAA has a special area for the YouTube um, uh, celebrities, I guess you call them talent, and they and CBS went, oh no 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 no, and they took somebody they got a quarter, a fraction of what it was they charged, but it is it I, it is what it is. What's happening now? I know,
1: and, and the iconic iconic places like William Morris Endeavor and the networks are hiring these fourteen year olds like crazy, trying to understand yep. what works and what appeals because they don't know anymore. No, and
0: that's the whole thing. They were saying that. That's it. They were saying that the old paradigm is meeting the new paradigm, and the new paradigm is pretty much gone. This is the way they are going to do, and what you're going to do is you're going to work towards our paradigm. We're not going to work towards your paradigm, right. which makes. Total sense, because I, I think that that's the way that evolution works, right? That's the way that it's like, this is the new thing. We've got to pull back. So when I go online and I spend, again, so much time promoting that when I do that, um, I'm, I'm excited about it. And I don't know that I want to have a manager. I don't know that I want to have an agent.
1: Or need one. Or need one. Yeah, you're going where you like when you like and Exactly. Yeah, working with whom you like. Right. And I and I feel that and yet I feel
0: that so many of us have that opportunity to do that but are afraid to Back away to are afraid to back away, step away, step out of. Do you think it's that. our
1: age? You know, I mean, we're just on the cusp where we can still be autonomous and independent, mm-hmm. and, and all. But there, there was a, folks older than us are dependents. They're dependent on the the agent manager hotline. They're not used to the computer. I mean, if we're just in the cutoff, it seems like anybody over sixty or sixty-five can't manage the entering that new. Ugh, oh, Google, forget it. Ugh, oh, you know, <laughs> Facebook, fuck it. Right, you know? right. But we made it. You and I made the cut. We did make the, we the cut. Did work, we <laughs> we <did> work it. <laughs> we made the cut. I I think that is
0: also about age, but I also feel that if I if I had this later, and who's to say? I think I still would be really intrigued by it, because I'm a gadget. I am like gadgets and yes. I like those sort of things and I also like mm-hmm. to, to screw with things until they, it, 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 to until really they find out what it is. Well, yeah, and it's also for me to get frustrated with it and figure it out. And we're at a time, I believe that we're at a time where whatever it is that you want to figure out, there's somebody out there to help you figure it out. Mm-hmm. If you get a new toaster and you don't really know the... Proper setting for the color bread. That. That's exactly
1: and why do they make those YouTube? Some generous soul will say, "This is how you use this toaster." Who are they? They don't get any money. They pay to have themselves filmed. It's just so altruistic. It,
0: and yet, there's somebody that is making money that you don't think is making money. You think that there's an altruism there, oh. but there's also there it, they. It's all um, so there's
1: advertising along the side that I've never looked at.
0: Absolutely, but there's yes, 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 yes. There's that, and it's also there's too. algorithms that say Amount of people at X amount of time from X amount of place—they're going to go. That's what we can do for you.
1: It's interesting. I read an article in the New Yorker a few months ago about the Disney collector. Have you heard of this person? Young woman wears very long nail nails, colored nails, different nails in every spot, and she records these YouTube's of herself opening Disney products, toys, uh, crazy uh, clay, different kind of things, and children. I mean, under five, love these. And their parents are frightened because they can't figure out why. The Disney collectors had like nine million hits on opening Play-Doh. Just opening? The package. And the mom mom said, I'll buy you Play-Doh. Can I open it for you? And they said, no, I want to see the girl do it. And you know, I'm, I'm intimidated. I don't. I'm also overjoyed right. at like how little we understand what makes kids tick now. They've come on, come in cable ready in a whole new way.
0: Oh, they're cable ready. Kids
1: come out cable ready. They come out with a chip in there that we don't have. Right. And so I'm a little intimidated and, let, and yet overjoyed at the variety of tastes that are emerging now. There's a show on the air. Maybe you've seen it. A friend of mine directs it called uh, Drunk History. Yes, at, Derek Watershow. show. Uh, and was, his, his, the yeah. director is is Jeremy Connor, who's mm-hmm. one of my dearest friends' sons. And he, you know, they, they just did this as a kind of a lark, and they did it on on Funny or Die, was yeah, it? Yeah, Funny or Die. It? And now it's like a hit. And I watched a few of them. It's hilarious. Yep. I'd like to mild. I'd be like to be on it and be one of those people like Craig Kowski, you know, Craig just Kowski, plays, yeah. you know, acting out the words. And I don't understand why, but it's kind of fascinating. I
0: th- I totally agree. And Derek was a student of mine. I directed him in a Second City show, and he's one of these guys that you look at a you go he's got this plan, and it's kind of a crazy idea. And then he goes, I'm gonna keep following through on that, and stepping back, and originally I look at him and went, what are you doing, what are you doing? How, what do you think you're doing, mister? And after a while, then we, we gotta be careful, and I've said this before, not to become the old man shouting from the second floor, get off my lawn, or what are you doing, or turn kids down today. that noise. Exactly, yeah. kids yeah. today. Because I look at a lot of stuff and go, I wanna be part of that. And I think with all the classes that I teach, and all the places that I go to, people, I'm talking to people, and I'm talking to people of different stripes and different colors and different ages who are telling me different things like this book is an interesting book. This you should you should you should take a look at that, take a look at this music. I've got this idea for you. Sending me stuff that and it changes my life yeah. because I'm not going, you, you get off. You know well, that. I learned, I learned
1: a lesson. Um, I, I had, had a one-woman show that I did up in San Francisco, and some, some guy was there. Uh, and he said, would you like to come teach improv up here? I know you've done a lot of improv. And I said, well, sure. So he imported me to Palo Alto at, at some church, and he had like 30 wonderful people from... Pixar and Google and, you know, but they were not trained actors by any means. And a lot of them were hysterically funny, you know, from the get, without any input from me. And the improv theater games, as you know, are a great fertile kind of brewing ground to see what people's senses of humor and physicality are. And there were some people in the class who were blocked. They just couldn't listen or be affected Mm -hmm. by anything. And I felt like those are the ones I needed to address Mm -hmm. most specifically, the ones that couldn't make eye contact when they gave their name or say hello. I thought, well, this is what I'll work on. And I got so much. Guff, because you know, the the criteria there is not necessarily about being social. Well, some of the students, when I gave notes, and and Bill, the guy that imported me, said, You have to be careful, these are not going to be actors, you know, these are not professional actors. They may be entrepreneurs, they may want to move from software development into actually selling their own product. That's the only leap that they may need. They're not going to go on camera and, and, you know, necessarily. Rock the world, right? So I had to adjust my teaching style to see the beauty and the um, alienation. As creative.
0: Yes, to see the it, does, their, it isn't always
1: from our kind of contact, full face presence, emotional visceral presence, right. and sometimes from the left.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. But but those are the things that again going back to that's who these people are. That the, this is their voice. Their voice is based upon that. And you know, there are people in our class that you look at uh, in the drop-in class that you come to, uh, you look at and you may go. What are you doing here? Yeah. And yet they are here every single week, mm-hmm. and f- and their intention is just to express themselves for three, whatever three hours a day, three hours a week yes. in this place. Yeah. And I watch them unfold and, fall and evolve, and I've, they've been with me for I don't know seven, eight years. How long has Ed been with you? Ed has been with me. So Ed's eighty-two or eighty-three. We Love talk about Ed by. a lot. He is. He had a major heart attack not too long ago, and he's frail. But the moment that he gets up and frailly walks into that chair and sits in that chair, it's all Powerful. over. Yeah. He's yeah. been with me since I was at Second City. So it's, I was uh, the artistic director of Second City. So that's only maybe seven or six or seven, still wow. six or seven years. Love it. And he comes every, he comes as often as he
1: can. Right. Um, but you've got a bunch of people there. That... And then we have that, that girl. I hadn't met her before. She was there. I was there Month or so ago, and there was a young woman there. Apparently, she was on Lost, a series that I didn't watch. Um, I she, was she? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. But in any she could have been on Lost. I mean, but I've she seen was Lost. Not your usual series regular, uh-huh. and. Uh, you know, uh, mixed ethnicity, uh, not conventionally beautiful, uh-huh. but powerful. Like, I, oh, I, do, I can't she? remember
0: who that was. I did watch. Lost. Maybe she'll
1: be there today.
0: Maybe she'll be there today. Yeah. Um, that's but so I could fantastic. tell
1: she had confidence. She had stage presence. She'd been around. Awkward though, she looked off stage. Mm-hmm. She took the light. You know.
0: Right, and that's what happens. The moment that you get there, you you, you pull back and you go, I'm. So I'm going to go back to the question of, do you tell people? uh that tree that you're barking up bark up another tree um that is the last that is i've done it maybe maybe once mm-hmm. and that's all that i could do because there's that book and i've mentioned before the book by studs Terkel called hope dies last which is just such a great phrase it's the idea that the last the last thing that to go is hope mm. you know because you're, you're in the plane and you're going we're going to pull out of this dive we're going to do it something's going to happen you know you look at somebody and you think oh they're going to survive that i've got hope and all that yeah. so i always think that there's a there, I look at a student and I think, okay, I have been doing this for long enough to be able to go. I'm going to stop everything right now. I'm going to look at what you're doing, and I'm going to create a work. I'm going to create an exercise based upon what's happening right now to help you understand. Because my words aren't doing it. My your actions need to make this happen, and that's the very last. That's for me. I feel like that is what I'm going to do. I, I usually, if they have some kind of brain injury. I can figure it out. And yeah. I know they are just not capable of getting it. Yeah. But my feeling is- they,
1: Don't they just kind of disappear from you? I mean, if you aren't the voice for them, they kind of know it and you know it. And sometimes it's... they
0: do, sometimes they don't. Yeah. you know, Sometimes they go, you're the person that's giving me the most attention out of anybody. Everyone else has given up on me, mm-hmm. but you haven't given up on me. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and, and a major part of what it is that I do is not make people feel like this is high school or middle school, worse, uh, from what I hear, I, I didn't go to middle school. I went, they didn't have middle school in Chicago. Mm. They had first grade to eighth grade and then, then
1: high, high school. Then high school.
0: Um, but uh, someone who's just sitting, John Lear, was saying how middle school is just awful. But anyway, um, John, John Lear. Oh, he has a show called uh, Quick Draw and he did a show called Ten Items or Less, all improvised. TBS had Ten Items or Less and Quick Draw is on Hulu. Oh. I think they're entering their third season. Oh. But it's the idea of looking, of of, of, you're in my class and you walk in and we're all equal. So I don't care really what you've done. I don't care where you're coming from because none of that matters to me. Mm-hmm. It's not, none of that matters. Where did you get your chops, your improv um, chops?
1: Well, I started when I was 14 at Yale University whenever they needed a girl. Mm-hmm. They didn't have girls at Yale in those days. I was imported to play young prostitutes at Three Penny Opera or uh, a citizen in Rhinoceros. Mm-hmm. Or, and so that's where I got very excited about being an actor. And I. You were to, going to Yale or you just. No, no, I was just a townie with a oh, local oh, girl who, uh-huh. got, who, who took the bus to Yale. And was in the plays. Uh-huh. But it, I was smitten with the uh, the level of production. Certainly at Yale, they had a great deal of money to do highfalutin uh, Broadway level. Uh-huh. Leland Starnes was the name of the teacher mm-hmm. uh, who was enrolled. Well, let's see. Bernard Malamud's son was in my classes. <laughs> Andre Garvan, uh-huh. son of some famous opera star. Uh, I dated uh, John Rothschild the fifth who was the editor of the Yale Daily News, who, I don't know if you recall, you're younger than me, but he he challenged the female first female editor of the Harvard Crimson to a game of jacks and lost. Uh, oh, I remember that. I remember that. And he I proved that that. feminism had some validity. I he surrendered in a very that. diplomatic way. That's awesome. I and do remember that. We were that dating story. for uh-huh. a while and I uh, got to go to the Yale proms and go to then I started as a go-go girl in the at the Yale Mixers. Uh, Phil Spector had a number of black acts around that's the crystals yeah. and he wanted yeah. to have them cross over so he booked white girls to be the dancers so I was I had a whole career at Yale when I was 14 and 15 years old and you know it was really wholesome white right. dresses French dresses Ryan Smith the white courage boots and made nice. a lot of money I mean it beat bathing. Baby, you own these
0: things or you, are, you you own these you own this, this, this outfit this costume and then what uh, you just described to yeah, me? Yeah,
1: I think this girl, she was a model, mm-hmm. um, and she and I bought our own outfits. They were really cheap. Yeah. We bought them at Tops. I think that was the name of the store out on the mm-hmm. Post Road in Connecticut. And uh, we loved it. And then he wanted us to go to the uh, Peppermint Lounge and dance with Gary Lewis and the Playboys. But my parents wouldn't let me go on the train. You know, oh. 14. <laughs> so then uh, the, uh, one of the productions I did at Yale's uh, at Yale, the Three Penny Opera, was imported to the New, New London Opera Company. So mm-hmm. that was my first Equity performance. I think it was 15. Uh uh-huh. so- Then I was like, I had the bug, and then I ran away from home and went to Woodstock Playhouse. Diane Keaton was a journeyman. I was an apprentice, and we, I worked building sets and stayed up all night. Loved every minute of it. Right. Minute of it. And that was Woodstock before the festival. So right. it was really kind of primordial, natural. Peter, Paul, and Mary lived there. It was an arts colony. And before it got commercialized and hippified, and now it's just a commercial kind of figment of its former self. Um, I, I've, great I, adventures.
0: I've worked there. I've worked, in not, I've worked in, not in Woodstock, but I've worked in the Catskills. And mm-hmm. the town closest to us was Woodstock. And I could really see the charm that it was. It's still kind of there. Mm-hmm. It's still kind of there.
1: Mm-hmm. I went there about four summers ago, and it was just a little bit pandering to an old hippie image. People sure. selling turquoise on the street, right. and incense, and right—that whole strip is yeah, Taylor you know, Street or something like that. Yeah, and then I. Uh, Went away the following summer to Warwick Playhouse in New York, and then I went to Cape Cod to do uh, shows there. And then I was in a review at the Motel on the Mountain with a bunch of brilliant comedians. What's Something Motel six. on the Mountain? It was in Suffern, New York, the kitten skills, they uh-huh. called them. That's nice. And it was like a sex farce review. We did we we acted out dirty jokes. It was a it was a motel? It was a motel on the mountain. There was a sign that said Hotel on the Mountain. It you had uh-huh. three letters missing, and we would drive up from New York. There were four or five of us, very funny people of them Second City people, mm-hmm. uh, and we would do these funny sketches, uh, so the, the you mo- made me love you, you woke me up to do it, you know, shtick like that, all the other cool jokes, stuff. lines after sex, Shills. they'd turn out the light and we'd just do a line every like three seconds, you know, <laughs> why don't you put the ashtray in your stomach so we can both use it, you know, just <laughs> silly things like that, and they loved it, people get drunker and drunker, we did three shows a night, like nine o'clock, midnight, and three in the morning, and then we right. would drive back exhausted. So I, I did that, and, and then I was doing Summerstock. So
0: that was your first foray into comedy right there.
1: Yeah, yeah. and I also was in improv troupes with Cyril Simon, who had been with the Second City some years before. Let's see who was in my company. Brian Gordon, who became a major director out right. here. Right. A lot of wonderful people. Um, and I, we did lunchtime improv at a YMCA on the east side, and people brought their bags and made audience suggestions. So I got my training in the lunchtime trenches, and then I got hired for the Proposition, which was a Boston Cambridge group Wait. with Josh Mustell and Jane Curtin. Right. Uh, and it was all musical. I was a good rhymer, compulsive, alliterative rhymer is a mm-hmm. habit of mine. And That's um, how your brain works. And, yeah. And then we worked at the Mercer Arts Center until it collapsed. It was at the Broadway Central Hotel, and mm-hmm. we were running for quite a while, and then it collapsed one night when we weren't there. But Alan Albert, may he rest in peace, was a terrific improv teacher, mm-hmm. mostly teaching musical and rhyme. We did a full-length musical, five-part musical. It had, you know, the, the, the stencil was in place, and we had to fill it in. Right. And wonderful people yeah, put- were in that, like Danny Troub, who became an orchestrator for, for Stephen Sondheim. I mean, really wow. gifted, multifaceted. People, like and
0: you know, how, you know how they are. No, I know. And, and the thing is, like, as you're saying that, I'm thinking how inspiring all that is, and inspiring, inspiring. But it's also you're getting your education right there. Yeah. And nowadays, that isn't what happens. Yeah. Nowadays, there's that school that has codified their program.
1: Taught by dilettantes. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Or, and I think that one of the things, and again, toothpaste is out of the tube. This is just the way that it is. But when I was taking improv classes, I was being taught improv classes, and it was at a school, it was at Second City, but the people that were teaching us were actors teaching improv. So what's happening now is there are improvisers teaching improv, and what we're missing is that which we do at the drop-in class, which is like, be in the moment here, this is acting, all improv is acting, and so at that moment you go it's you miss it yeah. you miss
1: See, that's one do. of the great things about what you're doing is that you're not under the auspices of some school where you have to teach the template to plug in those performances, those games that they have, you know, you're able to really develop your way of teaching like I am too because I'm a kind of an oddball, you know, maverick. Um, I teach the way I want to and I integrate and aggregate Stell Adler, Uta Hagen, uh, all the great teachers I was happy to study at the feet of, I hate those dangling prepositions, but I can't help it. Um, and, and put in, and amalgamated into the needs of this particular group of people. Right. right now, I have a bunch of entrepreneurs. They're incredibly successful. They don't need to learn improv, but it's their therapy. It's their their. Yes. They love it. It's yes. they, If I'm not teaching, they get mad. Yes. You know, they feel like I, they own my ass, and I need to like show up for them. Yes. They're art gallery owners, attorneys, lawyers. Um, I have a famous rock star therapist who works all over the world teaching and writes many, many books, and he's in the class whenever he can be, and they're good, and they're talented, and they're gifted, and do you want to perform somewhere? No, 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 we just like to do it here. And they get to be facile and f- silly and things they never get to do in their particular lines of work with their leaders.
0: It's sort of like uh, being a dominatrix.
1: Tell me what you mean. Uh, dominatrix. How you
0: know that about me? <laughs> 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 the Internet. <laughs> um, uh, the domination is the idea of you can come here and we're going to do this mm. and then when we leave here you can do whatever it is that you want to do mm-hmm. you know so sort of that that mm. that thing okay i will strap you the radiator and i will hit you and i will call you you're a bad boy in this space right. in my basement but the moment that you get out of here you got to go back to be the ceo of reynolds rap.
1: yeah and i'll say to them sometimes you know you know, there are many different ways you could do that scene. There are many different places you could clap in and add on to that. Here are five or six, let's pimp and let's each of you set up what that next tangential scene could have been. However, in this class, it's my class, you're paying me, you're going to do it this way, Jessica. Oh, clearly. Right. I don't micromanage too much, but I will say, I've been around a long time just for the hell of it. Trust me on this. Is this going to make you a better writer? This is going to make you a better performer? And this is going to make you a better social kind of contact for people. You're going to be a better listener. You're going yes. to be a more present participant. You're going to Support other people instead of always going for the joke yourself. You know? Right. So, what is it that we're, I mean, at the end of the
0: day, what it is that we're, we're asking people to do is just to be aware of what it is that you're doing every day. <laughs> That's every what we're asking you to do. Yeah. Um, Bring more
1: consciousness into every interaction at work and in life and with your husband or your
0: right. child. And we have all those opportunities at work and life, a husband, a child. We have all, all those opportunities for us to go, oh, historically I would do this, mm-hmm. but I was. Exposed to this in class today. Yeah, so I'm gonna try that Mm -hmm. and it's really a code It's a code that we have and when I say a code, I don't mean we sign it I mean, I mean it's like I know that you know that I know that you know what you're doing at this (laughs) moment I know that both of us are aware that I am performing in this way You're aware that I am acting in this way. Mm -hmm. So we become aware of being aware. I just love that so much. I just Mm -hmm. love it
1: it's like a supra-consciousness, right, over what you're doing. Like, like the witness in every spiritual yes. you know, movement, there's the witness, which is, I'm doing this, oh, and then you can step about, above it, puppeteering, and say, you know, I see myself doing this, so I could reroute, I could maybe do this another way. So it gives you that extra vision as an improviser. Right. And uh, I, that, I'm, something, I'm somewhat rusty at that. I'm so used to doing scripts and acting and things where everything's sort of written out for me. My behavior may change every day, but the, the words are kind of, you know, emblazoned. Yeah. But I'm rusty at having that uh, macro view. A it's rusty.
0: interesting because I think what you're talking about, you're not talking about being a stage actor in, in those situations. I think, aren't you talking about being in the industry doing in, in front of a camera, yeah, that's what you mean. Yeah. Because I think that if you do the same piece over and over, you, you then get that opportunity to really have that witness. But when we're doing it, like, here's your script, we're going to do it once.
1: Shoot it tomorrow. Yes, yeah. exactly.
0: Yeah. And, and and while you're in the middle of it, that witness is not you. You're subjugating that. You are you are giving up that witness yeah. for a director, producer, It's a struggle, writer. I
1: know, when I go from, from stage or improv to, um, you know, going to do a Film, you know, to really lock in really fast because you're not going to have the luxury rehearsal. You have to do so much homework at home because there's no rehearsal. You may mark your your spot on the stage, and that's about all you're going you're going to get. Hit your light, right? Raise your voice. Um, but, it, yeah, it's a very different, different skill. It has to be truthful, always. Yes. But there's so many kind of other elements you have to be aware of. So that hyper-awareness that improv gives you, gives you is good in all circumstances. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. In improv, maybe there's 50% of you that's outside of it. In a Broadway show, maybe there's 90% of you that's outside of it, making sure you don't fall off the stage or uh-huh. making sure you hit your marks that the other actor you know, won't get hit. Or, um, and in TV... You have to be really ninety-five to one hundred percent immersed because you can't be aware there's a camera up your nose. Right. You have to be so four-wall, three hundred sixty-degree immersed. And that,
0: and the exciting thing about that is, for me, um, my friend Alexander Billings and Kim Rubenstein—they teach. Um, they're just great teachers, and they teach viewpoints. And they a major thing about what they talk about is um, awareness. Uh, in six in six um, directions. So it's in front of you, behind you, above you, below you, to yeah. the right, to the left. Right. And to be aware of all those things and everything is happening in those moments, at those moments there's something happening mm-hmm. that you then become hyper aware, but I think I think that that's a major part of being an actor, is to allow yourself to be hyper-aware. I'm saying the same thing that I said last night, and yet this is different. It feels different. Their Why energy does it feel- is different. Yeah, their energy is different. My partner's energy is different. My energy is different. The day of the week is different. The barometric pressure is different. The weather is different. Barometric pressure. It's all that. Right. And yet, I think that we go, oh, time to go to the coal mine, trudge, 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 trudge. Mm -hmm. That's the coal mine song.
1: I mean, Um, it's so important to be able to go from playing the accordion, it has keys, to playing the piano, which is another kind of key. You know, you have to be able to use this instrument and hyper-develop this instrument, which you do, which I do. uh, So it can be ready for all those different, and then can kind of compartmentalize your brain. It's like, oh, I'm taking orders today. I can do just what I exactly want. Yes. And I'm working with this kind of person. And right now, the stage manager is reading my lines off off the camera, I have to endow him with all the romance I felt for the real guy. Right. You know, there's so much, you know, placed upon us responsibly and to be able to go from being just a yes person to being an okay, I'm in control person. I mean, it's it's fun. Yes. And it's that surrendering. Yeah. When to surrender and when to take control. That's, that's a challenge. It's interesting. When to surrender, when
0: to take control. When to surrender. I think that here's something. I think when the act of surrendering is the act of taking control.
1: <gasps> Ooh, now that that has to be reviewed. So
0: the idea that when you let go of that which no longer serves you and you are now engaging which is surrender, letting go of that which no longer serves you, you're now engaging in that which serves you. You're now taking control of that next thing that serves you. So the emotional content that you had prior to that beat change, that emotional content that you had at that moment is no longer there. So you surrender, which means you now are grasping control of that next thing that you have.
1: Brilliant. Well said. Well said. That's one of the things I have to work on with my students. Sometimes they're hanging on to their idea, and they don't get that somebody else is saying no, no, or go, go, and they keep, and I'm saying, you know, it's gone from inane to insane. Like, you know, the three stooges could repeat that thing three times, but at a certain point you seem insane if you don't obey what this person says.
0: Absolutely. And it says that you're not surrendering, and it says that you're... It's really interesting because at that moment, they think they're in control, but they're totally not in control. They're not in control. And they're also engaged in uh, in the action of expectation. They're saying it has to be like this. This is the way that I see it. This is the way that I see it. Mm-hmm. So when you're on a set, um, a TV set or a movie set or whatever it's going to be, you are so not in control of anything except yourself. And that's it. And everyone is relying on you to be in control of nothing except yourself, of your awareness of being there. Now, if we want to take a look at that and go, that's true of everything, we could do that too. Hmm. I'm counting on you to be in control of what it is that you're saying, to Mm. be mindful of what it is that you're saying. Mm. Also be mindful of what I'm saying, in relationship to what you're
1: saying. One of the challenges I have, because I have been a series regular or recurring character from time to time, at which point you get used to the mise-en-scene, you know where the restroom is, you know who to look to for an answer, you know who, which is, who your favorite writer is, but when you guest star on shows, I don't know if you've had this experience, and they've got a party going and you just show up for a day and they have a way of doing things and you're scrambling to figure out how to fit into that for the lowest possible amount of friction and, do your, and then have complete control of your thing. I've, I've had some challenges with that.
0: I love that, and I think just that which you just said, that paragraph of awesomeness, um, which is the name of my next book, Paragraph of Awesomeness, it's a very (laughs) short book, Um, that paragraph of awesomeness is such an important... Nugget, it's it's like, a, it's like a sandwich of goodness uh, for anybody n- coming to this industry right now to go, you are going to enter a set, you're going to be a guest at somebody's party, and what you've got to do is know that this is how a guest at this party behaves. And part of it is to go, enjoy the party, but another part of it is to say, it's not your party.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm very sensitive. I'm like the mat, the, the whole pee in the mattress thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Do we have another minute?
0: Oh, no, no. We've got plenty of time. Oh, Just okay. Want to make sure that all um, I had know.
1: to guest on a show. It was an unusual kind of show for me. It was called JAG. Yeah. And, um, Which, by voluntary. the way, is a different
0: word. It means something very different in Chicago. Uh, what does it mean? Oh, JAG. Like any time. Like when the series JAG came out in Chicago, yes. that's the school. see, so when the series JAG came out in uh, I, it, and I, I have to come visit Chicago. It's like, hey, you got a show called Jag out in, uh, in Hollywood. Like, yeah, yeah. So Jag means jag off, jerk off. Right. right so right. Jag, you go jag, I know. jag. There's nothing to do with any of that. Or
1: when it used to be, when you're on a jag, you're kind of on a, on a roll. Yeah. On a comedy jag. Yeah. you know, or a yeah, jag. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But this is clearly about. Yeah, it's, it stood it's, for it's, something. It's, it's an acronym. H, yeah. So I was
1: play to play a recurring senator, and they had a very militaristic way of doing things. You, when the star said, show up on the set and run the lines, I didn't they called me to the set all of a sudden, and I was just half done in makeup. So I went out there with my hair rolled, showed up in the set, and they started running lines. I said, oh, sorry. I didn't know that's what we were doing. I don't have my script. And why do you know your lines? I said, well, I was just going to review them in the chair. And, you know, already I had a, like a demerit. <laughs> you know, I got KP. Right. <laughs> so I was uh, unsettled, like right from there. There were certain ways they had. And there were certain flirtations between characters on the show, which I didn't know were already embedded in the show. Because you don't and watch so the, in show. the scene, Right. Which is, a you know, my, my bad. Uh, I had never watched the show and I got booked on it. And it was like these two were flirting so heavily in the scene while I'm having a conversation. I couldn't help but not kind of look at it. You know, and they kept saying, "What are you doing?" I said, "Well, you know, they're having a thing." While the se- I'm a senator and he's a general, and we're having a conversation, and these two are... They said, "Don't pay any attention to that." I said, "Well, it's like they're salivating all over the scene." You know, which just was confusing to me. About as a as an actor, I try to be a, a reactor. Yes. But as a senator on a show like Jag, I'm supposed to be unflappable.
0: It is so interesting because you got one job to do. You have that one job to do, yeah. and. And this is a major thing, I think, that I realized, um, not having had that experience, but I I realized in a different way, is this is so not about my character. Mm -hmm. I am there to facilitate and to be a catalyst. Yes, to get that information across, and that's what I have to do,
1: and it's merely that. I didn't know that. It was a very dramatic scene, and Mm -hmm. I I was a, a big imparter of backstory, right? and I didn't know that I could only only do that. Right. I didn't know that yet because I was used to being hired to be kind of uh, loose and goosey. Right. But here I was playing a real grown-up woman, you see, in heels and a real hairstyle. Right. Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's kind of wild, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right, <laughs> but
0: right, this right. is
1: a much more Republican character right. than that.
0: Oh, um, yeah, that idea of... Uh, oh, sorry, there's something you're saying that, that made me What shows have you that. guessed
1: on? Oh, I have to I've get your guessed, resume. Uh,
0: I have been on... Roseanne, oh. working. Um, oh, what's the show? I, I keep spacing out uh, with Michael J. Fox and mm-hmm. he, the New York mayor thing. Uh
1: huh. Yeah. That don't show. remember. So uh, like, uh, it not terrible. We're supposed to watch all these shows. I just I don't have. Can't. I don't have
0: the time. I, I mean, either. for me, the the show that I would want to, that I watch most are shows where large animals eat small animals. Really yeah
1: I get I like those don't kind you of like shows. Colbert? Well, the, I mostly watch the interviews. I fast forward because I get the news and I get who's the latest and, yeah. and he's just so facile he really is. and I had a long
0: a long interview yesterday with a, a, a reporter uh, who is doing a story on Colbert and how much information he want to know about what was it like working with him? what do I think about the new thing that's happening? and I feel like uh, you know, looking at it going, here's the thing, we have no idea. That's the most exciting thing for me is I have no, we have never experienced somebody that had their own name, played a character, and now is going to have a show where they don't play that character, but they still have their own name.
1: I'm nervous about it, frankly. I mean, remember Steve Allen, or is that before your time? No, I do
0: remember Steve. I think Allen. Stephen
1: Colbert is a lot like Steve Allen. I think so too. Very talented, can do a multiplicity of things. Right. But it became the Steve Allen show became about how much talent he had, and yeah. I think Stephen is so um, incredibly multi talented. Yes. That, you know, he dances with the ballerina, and he sings with Dolly Parton, and, you know, I just worry that that'll get a little excessive when he's not encased in that Republican ass <laughs> character. Just worry um, a little. He
0: is really a very gracious um, he's very gracious um, he's he's a great listener he is intrigued by people, he has a, a tremendous um uh, Passion for being alive. And I think that, uh, and and yes, he's snarky, and yes, he's got a point of view, but who doesn't want to watch that? Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah.
0: Craig Ferguson, who, there's another guy where you go, who doesn't want to watch that guy? Mm -hmm. You know, he's got a talk show. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Well, it's time for Letterman to go. Love him that we have. He seems tired and fatigued and not that excited by anyone anymore.
0: No. Well, you
1: do this show
0: five nights a week. For years. years. For years. Mm -hmm. And. You're, we all go oh you know what would be great is to have to be Hot Lips Hula, hand on mash and have that show run that long time mm. and and to be the you know to be that character that keeps playing that same character keeps playing that same it's character Really and i would think that it's exhausting and i would also feel that when you're done you're done yeah. and in a way you're hoping that your locker gets cleaned out yeah. you're hoping that one day you go i don't have to make the decision i want to come to work one day and find all my shit outside the locker and a new lock on it mm-hmm. and go
1: oh yeah i Oh, it takes a while to reinvent yourself. I mean, I've been in the fortunate position of being on a series for a long time and locked into just certain aspects of my behavior and my voice and my look and then broke out. And you have to go underground for a while because the business, unless you have a really terrific management team, which I didn't at the time, who can immediately place you in something else with a kind of an aspect of the character, but not literally that character. right. Right. You have to completely disappear and reappear as something else. Right. So that's what I'm doing now. I'm reappearing as older. Right. You know, because I was kind of still the aging ingenue 10 years ago. I love seeing that sort of stuff. I love it where you go, I know
0: her. Yeah. I know her. What was she in? And you go, oh, my God, she played the sister on the Patty Duke show.
1: <laughs> right. And here they are you know? now. Right. right? Yeah. And you go, what is she? Oh, man. Yeah. I'm not uh, sure what I'll come back as because I'm not quite sure how to be at this stage and age. I don't yeah. feel conventionally like an old person. But you'll figure it out. There's, yeah. That's
0: not for you. For you is to just take the... I feel
1: goofy, you know. I, What's that? I feel goofy, really, still. Yeah. I'm not, I don't have that kind of dignity that I felt I would have at this stage in age. I feel silly. And, uh-huh. Is and that good? Open and Well, we'll see if it can be packaged and paid. I don't really need the money or the, the series exposure, but it is kind of fun to think, oh, I'll be playing with the big guys again. Right. And now I like to play with really good people. Right. Uh, and yeah. read with really good people, which I'm doing now again. So
0: It's interesting, also, that you're coming back. It's like so many people are, have come back. Have had to come, uh, want to come back because, but they've done something or said something. Like I think of. Um,
1: Charlie Rocket, may he rest in peace. Yeah, right? That's awful. Dennis Miller came back as a whole other incarnation. Didn't Dennis
0: he? Miller came back as somebody very different <laughs> and looking, going, what? Happened? Yeah. What
1: happened? Is that who he always was. Oh, right. And yeah. you go, how do you? That... Oh, David Mamet. Who's he become? It's, oh, right, Mamet. I have a well, it, right. Where you go? Oh my God, you. What he, happened? He read too much press or something, and he thought he was always right. And, and else, I also he's feel like really he's, right, right, he's right exactly—he's
0: right. a right-wing douchebag yeah, right now. Right. And yet, you look and you go, "Okay, fine. How that? All those seeds were already planted when you look at the misogyny that the characters had. And when you look at the cockiness that all those characters had. And when you look at the fact that these characters are angry and pointed and focused, and they had that. It's like, oh, of course, yeah, he always was a right-wing douchebag. But the thing is, he had a mold to that other thing that was over him. The Softness had to go away so that he, his scales could come out,
1: so he could really be, be what he is. Exactly, which isn't necessarily our cup of tea, but that, no. that's who the guy is. And thank God
0: that he let that that he left that legacy of all those awesome things yeah. that I love to watch. Yeah. Um, you know, Glengarry Glenn Ross has some really beautiful things in that play yeah. and and the movie as well. Mm-hmm. And to look at that and go, Okay, uh, he he gave Alan Arkin work in Glengarry Glen Ross. He gave Jack Lemon it work. It's the in new Glenn. death
1: of a salesman, really. Right. You know, right. a contemporary Arthur Miller kind of thing. Right. Yeah, and a early is. movie, House of Cards, I thought was a brilliant movie. Great movie. You know, with, the, what's, with the wonderful magician who can slice yeah, a yeah, watermelon Jay, with a plank Yeah, yeah, Ricky J. Yeah, Ricky J. And gave a voice to yeah. those kind of Chicago Street kind
0: of performers. Clearly, and, yeah. all that Chicago stuff. I think he used to be a bartender at Second City.
1: Oh, really?
0: Yeah, I think he used to attend bar in in Second
1: Max. City with you? I know um, Stephen Colbert.
0: Colbert, Carell. Anybody
1: else? Oh, Stephen Col- Carell, Carell, right. Colbert.
0: Carell, um, Colbert. Uh, 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 Scott Adsett, who went on to be in 30 Rock, mm-hmm. uh Rachel Dratch. Ah, oh, um, she was
1: on Saturday night live, right? Yeah,
0: she was on Saturday night for a long time. Um uh and then before that was Tim Meadows was uh I was with Tim Meadows mm-hmm. and um
1: and do you guys uh, stay in touch? Or no, like, not
0: really. You yeah. know how it goes. Where you, yeah. you know, uh, periodically. You oh, oh, Mia uh, uh, Vardalis. Dallas uh, My oh, big, big, sure. big fat Greek wedding. Sure, uh, her husband, with her. Yeah, she's yeah. great. Ian yeah. Gomez, these are my dear friends. Mm-hmm. Um, we call ourselves the core. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those people. Um, Kate Flannery, who was in uh, the office. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, and then some people that are writers and that, uh, it's,
1: it's. It, it was just It an was amazing. a great training ground. It who was a great were your training teachers? ground. Who uh,
0: my teachers were John uh, uh, John Michalski, Jeff Michalski, a guy named Michael Gelman, who is a mentor of mine, mm-hmm. Martin Dumont, uh, Sheldon Patinkin, and who Sheldon just was passed a the dollar. Yeah. Yeah. Sheldon mm-hmm. was on the podcast, and I went over to his house, and it was sort of like, again, what you were saying, where you look at you go, here's the, here's, this is, who I, this person I'm, is? yeah, this is who's it, and Let it was me a high tell
1: you, audience, about David's taste. <laughs> First of all, he has antique cameras, he has yes. a brilliant, you nat- Shica, which in my childhood was like a major portrait camera. Mm-hmm. My dad and he has had. a living plant, which I, it was nothing like I would picture David having. I no. mean, it's sprawling. It's What did you think entire. it
0: would be? What did you think this place would be?
1: I don't know. I thought it would be more austere, but mm-hmm. this is so colorful. He mm-hmm. has a red kitchen, ladies and gentlemen. He has all kinds of eclecticism on the wall. I'd like to go through more of his etchings. He has an area that's just for collages. Yep. He has a yep. drafting table and nothing happens there. No eating, no drinking, nothing just. except collage creation. Yep. And uh, just, Thank mm-hmm. you red kind of features, a lot of red features. Like what the is red. it with red? I don't
0: know. It kind of hit me, because I, I, red really hit me. There are a lot of, there are a lot of red. And I had a girlfriend it's who said, accents. you got to get red, rid of the red, and like, you're not gonna. There's this website called uh, Apartment Therapy that really is great, and what it does is it shows eclectic. People have eclectic tastes, and sort of like looking like this is, but I'd rather not be on that, because it's like shabby chic came around, yeah. and suddenly people are going, I want things to look distressed. Um, but everything here is over.
1: You know, it's kind of got yeah. that arc, kind of archaic broadly thing. However, mm-hmm. it's clean. It has brand new carpet, and you have yep. to take your shoes off when you come in yep. here. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I bet he cooks. He has probably a pretty good-sized kitchen. I love what do you like cooking. To make?
0: I make, um, I love vegetables. Mm, I love um, vegetables. Um, and I like fish. Mm-hmm. And I, Are you a
1: vegetarian primarily?
0: Mm, I was for eight years. No, I'm sorry, four years as a right. vegetarian. Mm. And, then, uh, and then I was like, fuck this. I want a hamburger.
1: Yeah. I want a hamburger. I'm afraid I have. Deep beef I'm so sorry
0: I, I'm not afraid of all but I drive a
1: Prius and I'm getting rid of my lawn so I'm compensating okay
0: fine I get it yeah. I get it I get it I was I lived my wife was I was married for 14 years and she was a vegetarian so I did that for 14 years wow. but I also went out and That's won a low. burger Mm-hmm. Uh, and then prior to that, I lived with two vegetarians for eight years, so I was 22 years. So I was like, veg, kind of veg. That's my it. neighbor.
1: I love the idea of it, but I just I just couldn't do it. I, do. I don't want to be the ruin of the planet. I'm sorry. I really don't. So as me, I eat as many other kinds of meats as I can that aren't so injurious to the atmosphere. Yeah. But I do have to eat a We are
0: alive We've... on this planet, yeah. and we do and do. And Russian
1: Jews, I mean, as genetically we're predisposed to eat meat and potatoes. I'm sorry. I
0: need a pot roast? Yeah.
1: I know, really well cooked for hours and hours and hours. I like oxtail. I make a lot of oxtail. Yeah, right? Yeah.
0: My grandmother used to boil the flavor out of chicken and then Mm. give it to us. Yeah. Yeah. Those days are over. But she also used to make her own challah and her own chicken soup.
1: Hmm.
0: And... um,
1: When did your your family come from Russia?
0: 1912.
1: Yeah. my, My grandparents came over around then too. What area? New Haven.
0: I'm sorry, where they did, came from where did they oh, come
1: from? They oh, uh, Minsk and someplace uh-huh. else. I forgot. I don't think it yeah. Tbilisi. Yeah, I, think, I think it doesn't exist oh, anymore. yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. not on the map. So yeah. God knows how many different, you know, uh, governments ate that, that town. It's gone. Right. And then they settled in New Haven, Connecticut mm-hmm. and spawned and had four and, kids. And, that brought you here. And my, my mom's family was from uh, Austria. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. and they're very musically inclined uh-huh. and so that her parents met in, in New York or New Haven or something like that Ugh. Through their lives, so there was a little bit of Yiddish, a little Russian, and they kind of assimilated, but never fully. My grandparents; they were still kind of old world in many, many ways. So it's interesting, you know, we're our generation, you, me, we had a little touch of that old world. Uh, I, yeah. People were not born in America. No, my uh, my
0: grandparents, I knew them, and they spoke Yiddish around the house, and yeah. my dad spoke a little bit of Yiddish. Yeah. My mom's side of family; they're they're from Britain, and. And slums, mm-hmm. um, but I've got things around here that are just so connected to those people. Yeah, I and see.
1: I, you have a lot of pictures of people in Russia, and yeah. very dignified, yeah. upper class-looking people. It was. Don't they just had nice outfits? They dressed up. They dressed Yeah, oh look at
0: this. this is, that's chips.
1: That's your dog?
0: No, that's my neighbor's dog. Oh, she so is. Cute. Oh my God, are you a dog person?
1: sized dog, love dogs.
0: Then she you pick her up. you can pick her up. Can I she, pick you up? Yeah, she could pick her up.
1: Oh, do you want to be on the radio?
0: Oh, she's on, she's been on so many podcasts. Oh,
1: thank there you. you. Go. Hi, She's
0: been on so many podcasts. <laughs> just took a nip adorable. out of my she's face. She's adorable. She's a lover. Oh, she's a lover. Let's so. end there. Let's end with chips in your lap. Okay. All right? Yes. Thank you so it's great much. Great
1: to talk to you at last. You've been avoiding me
0: I know for I, months I, here. I, 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 I Well, it, makes, it got me outside. <laughs> got me out of the country. Thank you for listening to ADD Comedy. For Dave Brzozowski, I'm Ian Foley. For more information on Dave, you can go to his website at www.DavidRozowski.com or follow Dave on Twitter at D.Rozowski.